Hello, active and inactive listeners, you monarchs here to behold this swelling scene. I'm Dob Birch, and this is my colleague and artist in arms, Madeline Waddle. Hi. It's time again for another installment of ART's Much Ado About Nothing. Plus an interview with Benedict Mott, utility ART player, teacher, and the groom in the upcoming Cabbage Mott wedding. Grab some popcorn, settle in, and join us. Here on The Horned Moon Presents. The Horned Moon presents broadcasts on 96.5 KMEW. Meow. The Cat. Bringing up-to-date arts coverage to Milford Haven, Padua, Verona, Elsa, Noor, and the unincorporated area of Rome. Claude Perkowski is not hosting a night at the studio this week, stating that instead, he's preparing to announce a very special collaboration next Thursday. So until then, artifactionados, you'll have to look elsewhere for your weekly dose of postmodern mixed media performative expression. This Saturday, Lucretia Page is again bringing together the Seventh Sense Storytellers for a telepathic trip down memory lane. Share your favorite childhood memories with the group Saturday at 4 p.m. Lucretia says the ESP traffic has been very high the last few meetings and asks that everyone be patient and wait their turn to share. It's a busy week for Lucretia Page, as coming up on Monday, she also launches Arden County's newest newspaper, The Devil's Charter Digest. The Digest will focus on the supernatural doings throughout the county. Lucretia says she was inspired by the swirl of rumors around the Macbeth curse last year to create a place where people can get the metaphysical truth and not be reliant on hearsay alone. Mariah and Imogen Smythe are among local contributors featured in the first issue. I can't wait to get the supernatural skinny on Arden County. Today, we're looking at another Dogs of War, but first, this. Nothing says luxury like the pure gold of freshly harvested honey. The bees at Valmont Hives are fed exclusively local clover and do their pollinating to the tune of 2,000 silver bee bells made by traditional craftsmen in Nepal. Drizzle our clarified honey over your charcuterie, including, of course, our rich goat cheeses, for a truly divine experience. Valmont Hives. Honey with elegance. Well, Waddle, thanks to Olivia Monk's email, a jar of bees has been opened regarding the casting of Claudio this year, and I think it's something we should get into. Charmian Bear 23 tweeted, Dob, you can't criticize Mason for taking the role of Claudio when you yourself refused it. And Gloucester's eyes said, nobody should be directing themselves. So far, Mason's Claudio is okay, but we're all waiting for it to become self-indulgent. Actors can't help themselves. That's why directors exist. So today we're hashing it out, and Waddle, you're insistent that you take the side of Mason, the side of Mason shouldn't be playing Claudio, and I defend him, even though I hardly think what he's doing is in any way defensible. You do have to defend him, though, because when you had the chance to play Claudio and you refused, so the ultimate argument is that Mason had no choice, thanks to you. See, you're already defending him. You already have an argument ready. Dogs of War isn't supposed to be personal, Dob. 
you and I are just supposed to lay out the facts on both sides and not get into ugly personal matters like we did last time. All right, fine. Without further ado, this is RR, the Dogs of War. Oh! So to follow up Gloucester's eyes point, directing oneself is terribly tricky and the temptation for self-indulgent is ever present. Was it appropriate or advisable for Mason to take on that particular challenge as a first time director and a somewhat untested actor? Absolutely not, that's insane. Kim Purnell, who has directed more ART productions than anyone else, has said she would never attempt to direct herself. Counterpoint, Dob? My only counterpoint is that you're talking about what pitfalls this arrangement might be. The proof is in the performance, and so far, Mason's performance hasn't been marked by self-indulgence. Maybe it doesn't look good on paper, but he's pulling it off so far, and there's no reason to assume that will change. How it looks on paper surely has to be considered when this is, at its core, a community production. Some directors would have felt a responsibility to provide more opportunities to community members. An argument could be made that that is the priority of the organization altogether. But at the expense of quality? Now, I don't intend to speak ill of any of our actors, but those who were suited for Claudio already passed. The remaining alternatives would have been poor casting choices. Exhibit A, me, Dob, and surely that impinges on the opportunity that is being offered to the rest of the cast. But is the rest of the cast getting the directorial support they need when Mason's attention is bifurcated? I don't know. Are you? Yeah. I mean, I don't have complaints, and I've been feeling really intimidated by this part, so I feel like I've been a pretty needy actor. Why so intimidated? I think everyone within ART is really thrilled to see you finally in the spotlight. Well, there's a reason it's taken so long, Dob. I just haven't been up to snuff. I very much disagree. And let me tell you why. First of Save all- Save it, Dob. We're getting off topic. Final word. So far, so far, I can't complain about Mason's performance. And so as long as the show is being served by his work, then I don't think we can stand against it just on principle. It might be against the spirit of the segment, Dob, but I agree. Well, with that settled, let's check out today's installment. Hopefully Mason doesn't prove me wrong. I don't think he will. Let's find out as we pick up again with Art's Much Ado About Nothing for this week's installment, Pleasure in the Message. happy planning the wedding good god so much planning i was still so young and so happy and so young and so happy i never imagined others were not so happy or so intent on ruining our happiness it wasn't our happiness he wanted to ruin just happiness generally and don john had a lot of experience at ruining happiness he always made his brother sad enough is it so? The Count Claudio shall marry the daughter of Leonardo. Yea, my lord, but I can cross it. Any bar, any cross, any impediment will be medicinable to me. I am sick in displeasure to him. 
How canst thou cross this marriage? I think I told your lordship a year since how much I am in the favor of Margaret, the waiting gentlewoman to hero. What life is in that to be the death of this marriage? The poison of it lies in you to temper. Go you to the prince, your brother. Spare not to tell him that he hath wronged his honor in marrying the renowned Claudio to a contaminated stale, such a one as hero. What proof shall I make of that? Proof enough to misuse the prince, to vex Claudio, and to undo hero and kill Leonardo. Look you for any other issue. Only to despite them, I will endeavor anything. Go then, find me a meet hour to draw Don Pedro and the Count Claudio alone. Tell them that you know that Hero loves me. Intend a kind of zeal both to the prince and Claudio. Offer them instances which shall bear no less likelihood than to see me at her chamber window. Hear me call Margaret Hero. Hear Margaret term me Claudio and bring them to see this very night before the intended wedding. For in the meantime, I will so fashion the matter that hero shall be absent and there shall appear such seeming truth of hero's disloyalty that jealousy shall be called assurance and all the preparation overthrown. Be cunning in the working of this and thy fee is a thousand ducats. Be you constant in the accusation, and my cunning shall not shame me. I will presently go learn their day of marriage. I do Gross. much wonder yeah. that one man, but we seeing didn't know how about much that. another man is we a were fool too busy trying to treat his behaviors to love, right. will, after he That's has true. laughed at such shallow what follies in others, become the argument of his own scorn by falling in love. And such a man is Claudio. I have known when there was no music with him, but the drum and the fife. And now he had rather hear the tabor and the pipe. He was wont to speak plain and to the purpose, like an honest man and a soldier. And now he has turned orthography. His words are a very fantastical banquet. Just so many strange dishes. May I be so converted and see with these eyes? I cannot tell. I think not. One woman is fair, yet I am well. Another is wise, yet I am well. Another virtuous, yet I am well. But till all graces be in one woman, one woman shall not come in my grace. Rich shall she be, that's certain, wise or I'll none. Virtuous or I'll never cheapen her. Fair or I'll never look on her. Mild or come not near me, noble or not I for an angel of good discourse, an excellent musician, and her hair shall be of what color it please God. <laughs> ah, the prince and monsieur love, I will hide me in the arbor. When he was done talking to himself, he does like the sound of his own voice. When he was done, the prince, your father, and I set our train. Come, shall we hear this music? Yea, my good lord, how still the evening is, as hushed on purpose to grace harmony. See you where Benedict hath hid himself? 
He was hiding behind a palm tree, which was at least six inches thinner than he is. We could see most of him around the sides. Plus, we could hear him commenting on everything we said. He's not stealthy. Uh, come, Balthazar, we'll hear that song again. Oh, my good lord. Tax not so bad a voice to slander music any more than once. It is the witness still of excellency to put a strange face on his own perfection. I pray thee sing and let me woo no more. Because you talk of wooing, I will sing. Since many a wooer doth commence his suit, to her he thinks not worthy, yet he woos. Yet will he swear he loves. Nay, pray thee come, or if thou wilt hold longer argument, do it in notes. Note this before my notes. There's not a note of mine that's worth noting. Notes, notes, forsooth, and nothing. Sigh no more, lady, sigh no more. Men were deceivers ever. One foot in sea and one on shore. The one thing constant never. Then sigh not so, but let them go and be you blithe and bonny. Converting all your sounds of woe into hey, nani, nani. Sing no more, diddy, sing no more of dumps so dull and heavy. The fraud of men was ever so since summer first was levy. Then sing not so, but let them go and be you blithe and bonny. Converting all your sounds of woe into hey, nani, nani. By my troth, a good song. An ill singer, my lord. <laughs> no, no, faith. Thou sings well enough for a shift. And he had been a dog that should have howled thus, they would have hanged him. <laughs> Yea, Mary, dost thou hear, Balthazar? I pray thee get us some excellent music, for tomorrow night we would have it at the Lady Hero's chamber window. Uh, the best I can, my lord. Do so. Farewell. Come hither, Leonato. What was it you told me of today, that your niece Beatrice was in love with Signor Benedict? Oh, I stock on, stock on, the foul sits. I did never think that lady would have loved any man. No, no uh, nor I neither, but most wonderful that she should so dote on Signor Benedict, whom she hath in all outward behavior seemed ever to abhor is it possible sits the wind in that corner we heard that but by my trust my lord i cannot tell what to think of it but that she loves him with an enraged affection it, it is past the infinite of thought maybe she doth but counterfeit faith like enough oh um god a uh, counterfeit there were never counterfeited of passion came so near the life of passion, as she discovers it. Why? What effects of passion shows she? Bait the hook well, this fish will bite. What effects, my lord? She will sit you. You heard my daughter tell you how. She did indeed. How? How, I pray you. 
You amaze me. I would have thought her spirit had been invincible against all assaults of affection. I would have thought it had, my lord, especially against Benedict. I should think this a goal, but that the white-bearded fellow speaks it. Knavery cannot sure hide himself in such reverence. <laughs> he hath tamed the affection. Hold it up. Uh, hath she made her affection known to Benedict? No. Oh. And swear she never will. That's her torment. Tis true indeed. So your daughter says, Shall I, says she, that have so oft encountered him with scorn, write to him that I love him? Uh, this says she now when she is beginning to write to him, for she'll be up twenty times a night. And there she will sit in her smock till she have writ a sheet of paper. Uh, my daughter tells us all. Now you talk of a sheet of paper. I remember a pretty jest your daughter told us of. Oh, uh, when she had read it and was reading it over, she found Benedict and Beatrice between the sheet. That. Oh. She tore the letter into a thousand halfpence. Then down upon her knees she falls, weeps, sobs, beats her heart, tears her hair, prays, curses. Oh, sweet Benedict, God give me patience. You didn't really say it like that. I had to give a convincing comment. You didn't really say it like that. <laughs> it were good that Benedict knew of it by some other if she will not discover it. To what end? He would make but a sport of it, and torment the poor lady worse. And he should, it were an alms to hang him. She's an excellent, sweet lady, and out of all suspicion she is virtuous. And she is exceedingly wise. In everything but in loving Benedict. I would she had bestowed this dotage on me. I would have daft all other respects, and made her half myself. I pray you tell Benedict of it, and hear what he will say. Were it good, thank you. Hero thinks surely she will die, for she says she will die if he love her not, and she will die ere she make her love known, and she will die if he woo her, rather than she will bait one breath of her accustomed cross. She doth well. I am sorry for your niece. Shall we go seek Benedict and tell him of her love? Never tell him, my lord. Let her wear it out with good counsel. Nay. That's impossible. She may wear her heart out first. Well, we will hear further of it by your daughter. Let it cool the while. I love Benedict well, and I could wish he would modestly examine himself to see how much he is unworthy so good a lady. My lord, will you walk? Dinner is ready. <laughs> if you do not dote on her upon this, I will... Never trust my expectation. Let there be the same net spread for her, and that must your daughter and her gentlewomen carry. The sport will be when they hold one in opinion of another's dotage, and no such matter. Let the scene... That's the scene that I would see, which will be merely a dumb show. Let us send her to call him into dinner. Then we left him there to stew about it. This can be no trick. The conference was sadly born. They have the truth of this from Hero. They seem to pity the lady. It seems her affections have their full bent. Love me? Why, it must be requited. I hear how I am censured. 
They say I will bear myself proudly if I perceive the love come from her. They say, too, that she will rather die than give any sign of affection. I did never think to marry. I must not seem proud. Happy are they that hear their detractions and can put them to mending. They say the lady is fair. Tis a truth. I can bear them witness. And virtuous, tis so. I cannot reprove it. And wise, but for loving me... By my troth, it is no addition to her wit, nor no great argument of her folly, for I will be horribly in love with her. I may chance have some odd quirks and remnants of wit broken on me, because I have railed so long against marriage. But doth not the appetite alter? A man loves the meat in his youth that he cannot endure in his age. Shall quips and sentences and these paper bullets of the brain awe a man from the career of his humor? No, the world must be peopled. When I said I would die a bachelor, I did not think I should live till I were married. <clears throat> Here comes Beatrice. By this day, she is a fair lady. I do spy some marks of love in her. Against my will, I am sent to bid you come in to dinner. Fair Beatrice, I thank you for your pains. I took no more pains for those thanks than you take pains to thank me. If it had been painful, I would not have come. You take pleasure in the message? Yea, just so much as you may take upon a knife's point. You have no stomach, senor. Fare you well. <laughs> Against my will, I am sent to bid you come into dinner. There's a double meaning in that. I took no more pains for those thanks than you took pains to thank me. That's as much as to say any pains that I take for you is as easy as thanks. If I do not take pity of her, I am a villain. I will go get her picture. And that was it. He took the bait. What a dork. I wasn't surprised, but I wasn't convinced Beatrice would be so easy to trick. She really seemed to hate him. That's a fine line between love and hate. Oh, believe me. I know. Ouch. <laughs> anyway, all that was left was to convince Beatrice to love Benedict, and then they were going to live happily ever after. And you and I were going to live happily ever after, and everyone would be happy forever. <laughs> well, that was flying. Benedict's Gulling Scene is an all-time classic. Kudos to the cast for another great installment. We're talking to Benedict Mott today, but first here's this week's line of the week. The world must be peopled. Mention the line of the week at the Morning Lark Diner for half off their waffle of the week. Departing from our interview schedule or maybe confused by the name, this week's waffle is the Benedict, a buttermilk waffle stuffed with ham and cheese and topped with an egg sunny side up. I'm getting one as soon as we finish. And speaking of, here's Benedict Mott now. Great to have you back on the show again so soon. Pleasure to be here as always. Let's just dive right in. So much has been made about ART's new direction and new director. How are you feeling the atmosphere around this production has shifted from what it was with McBee? Oh, this production has been going really well. Uh, I mean, I, I didn't have any gripes about Macbeth, but... You know, usually if you're the leading actor in a play, you don't you don't really have the time 
to consider some of those rehearsal room intricacies, especially when you're playing someone like Macbeth. Um, and admittedly, I'd kind of distanced myself a bit from the cast during that production, just because, it, I mean, honestly, you know, when you're playing such an impactful title role, it's kind of necessary in a really weird way. I think the closest I got to anyone was with with Agatha, and that was just strange because I barely knew her before the production started. <laughs> it is a little bit like a mortal being in the presence of a god when it comes to Agatha Valmont. She's a very impressive woman. Now, you've known Mason almost as long as I have. Are you surprised at how he stepped up to the plate here? To be honest? No. I mean, look, you're his older brother. You kind of got blinders on when it comes to Mason. He's really far more capable than you give him credit for. I have to agree. And I think something I've been really struck by is his willingness to uh, invest in some of the lesser known bits of the story here, like Baraccio's relationship with Margaret. Agree. Agree. Yeah. When, uh, when you take one of these like non-marquee name roles, you sometimes fear they'd be lost in the shuffle. And that's not the case here. I, I think he's given me a, a, a great opportunity to shine in a few different roles that I just otherwise maybe never would have been considered for. Yeah, I remember last week, uh, your your little scene there with your soon-to-be wife uh, got pretty <laughs> steamy in that little dance, uh, far more than we're used to hearing on the on the airwaves here. How was it to do? It's I think you're only seen together. It is. It's it's actually really interesting because normally that's that's not a scene between the two of them, but the, but changing that it gets Margaret and and Baraccio into a space where it's believable that Baraccio might even have a little bit of sway over her, let alone get her to go along with this crazy I don't know fantasy that they end up playing out later. Well, and she so strongly takes the lead in, in that little moment of dance with you. It it really helps us believe that maybe she does have some agency in this relationship. It's nice. It's nice to think so. Does not Isn't it? Yeah. And we also got to hear your pipes for the first time. I know you always dodge, uh, dodge all the musical uh, roles. Uh, how did Mason trick you into this? Oh, um, it was, it was kind of just tagged on to the end there. Uh, I mean, Balthazar is not really a pivotal piece to the show, so I don't fault him for kind of just forgetting he existed. But uh, yeah, it was just kind of one of those things that was like, oh man, we need this. And I think he was just like, I was just the first person he saw. <laughs> Um, now, you arguably were one of the marquee names last fall, and you didn't even audition for Much Ado. Uh, your fiance urged you to come on as a ringer. What drove the decision not to audition? I mean, uh, were you wary of uh, of ART's ART's new direction? Oh no, not at all. I mean, I'm getting married next month, so there's you know a lot going on around that. Um, I I don't want to be half committed to a project. You know, I I just didn't know if I had the bandwidth. Um, but you know, Viola said. Mason was looking for some people to fill the gaps. And I mean, I knew it was a small enough role that I could fill the gaps, you know, uh, just like I knew there was no way I could take on Claudio right now. 
So that brings us sort of to our Dogs of War segment earlier. Uh, would you like to voice an opinion on what you think about the director being a part of the cast, specifically with Mason or generally? Uh, sure. I mean, look, art is in and of itself a, a bit of a experiment, right? I mean, there's not a lot of Shakespeare on radio. And so I think there's room for us to take some unconventional... I think it's okay for us to make some unconventional moves in terms of production. And if I'm being honest, uh, you wouldn't even know in the rehearsal room that that it was a thing. It's just one second I'm talking to Mason as a director, and the next he's reciting Claudio lines. It It kind of just works. You hear that, Dob? It kind of works. It kind of works. And I mean, I will say, irrespective of the particular person that we have involved, um, I do feel like the director shouldn't direct themselves is such like a mantra in the theater that it it ceases to really mean anything. It's just conventional wisdom. And some people can do it and some people can't. And those that can should be able to. Are there some directors that I would be a little bit more wary working with under these circumstances? Absolutely. But I think Mason pulls it off. Agreed wholeheartedly. Now, shifting gears just a little, um, I do want to talk about the interesting casting trajectory you've been on recently. Uh, after many years of being renowned for your heart and vulnerability and being the go-to guy for tenderness on the air. Now we've got two shows back to back where you're playing what are arguably villains. What's at the bottom of this trend for you? I think some directors are sensitive to the fact that villains can have a soft side and, and they don't have to be like mustachio twirling parodies, right? Do you see yourself continuing to seek out roles like this? Honestly, I, I, I'd come to the point in my career, I guess, with art that I'm really just starting to consider roles that I'd never considered for before. Uh, you know, so yeah, let me play some more villains. Maybe, maybe I can play a clown. You know, it's, it's all on the table for me. I think at this point, I'm still holding out for your Romeo before you age out of it. <laughs> well, I, I, I think we'll have to, uh, we'll have to ask our audiences for a little bit more suspension of disbelief than for Balthazar, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I would love your Romeo, Viola's Juliet. It would be a dream production. And then we just have to pair it with the Mr. and Mrs. Tittle production in rep. I don't know, by, by how much everyone in town seems to be invested in this wedding, I don't know if they could handle uh, handle us in such a, a tragic, a tragic coupling. And speaking of, as as a soon to be married man, uh, do you think these themes of much ado have a new or special resonance for you? Hmm. I think that I'm starting to understand some of your frustrations from last year's Macbeth you know, how much you wanted characters to take some responsibility and change the events of the play. I feel, I feel the same way about communication in this play. Like, like stop being smart and, and just say what you mean, you know, just get through all the, the laughs and the funny punchlines 
or you know just confront her about about what you heard in the garden you know spoilers but like let's let's <laughs> let's talk to one another like you and your brother just talk we don't have anything to talk about i think everybody that listens to this program disagrees todd you have a lot to talk about probably and with a licensed therapist ev everyone who listens to this program has heard what problem it is when we do talk it's better if we don't i i don't know i mean i think you know you look at all of the effort that you're putting in to convince us that there is such bad blood between you but at the end of the day i don't know if mason shares that feeling yeah i mean honestly this kind of brings us back to the play a little bit doesn't it like it's a relatable lesson to to say that people should just confront each other with these issues I mean, look at how much you work you put into making everyone believe you hate your brother. Like we all know at the end of the day, he's your brother. It's no, true. No, here's the thing. Look, I do not hate my brother. I just wish that he would take on a little bit of responsibility. I wish he could hold on to a job for more than a year. Uh, I wish he knew how to apply for jobs so that I wouldn't have to call in favor after favor. I wish he would stay with the same person in his love life for more than five minutes. I wish he would stay single for more than two minutes. I, he can't see anything through and he's throwing away his life in, in his just wafting through the breeze like a tumbleweed. Look, I, I know, I know that's what you think. And, and But he is your brother. And I don't think you understand how much he respects the hell out of you. Mason doesn't respect anything. Or I anyone. I completely disagree. I mean, he's taking his role with art so seriously. I think your approval actually means quite a bit to him. He listens to the show every week and he's hearing this every week and you have to imagine that has some sort of impact. If if it had an impact, he would take any of the advice that I offer him for free on the air. Uh, and frankly, I don't think he's ever taken anything seriously enough to seek approval from anyone, let alone me. I just think you're too close to the problem. Look, you're not being fair. You think you know him, but I don't think you really do. Waddle... Look, you know what? I, do you know what I'm saying? I don't. Like you've talked about Mason a lot over the years, and so I thought I knew him, but working with him on Much Ado, he is not the guy that you've described. Uh, I just think maybe you're caught up in what he was years ago, and you don't realize he's done some growing up. What? What is this? Attack Dob Night? No, no. Look, we're not. We're not trying to pile on. It's. It's just a demonstration of how easier things are when people talk directly to each other. You and Mason should hash all this out and put it to bed because it's getting a little okay, old. Yeah. Well, go ahead, Waddle. No, I was just agreeing. Very old it's getting. Well, let's shift gears away from the, the Birch brothers then. And uh, let's get, uh, let's look ahead at what's coming up next for Ben, even before the, uh, before the wedding. Next week, you're the inaugural speaker for the Arden County Community College Lecture Series. What can listeners expect at that? Oh, it's just some work I put together after our last interview, actually. You got my 
my my mind undulating a little bit, my thoughts moving about about investigating the fictional deaths of some famous animal characters, and then and then I kind of just drew some connections between how those deaths are read and and how the generations that would have experienced those deaths at a tender age went on to shape the world. Intriguing. I mean, I know the first movie that I cried at was Where the Red Fern Grows, so I can see how that. Mm. It's a, an interesting topic for sure. I've got to say when Methuselah dies in Redwall, wrecked me, wrecked me for a month. <laughs> and I mean, Bambi's mom, right? Like, geez. It always comes back to Bambi. It's the always. original. It always comes back. Uh, is this sort of intense academia something you see yourself starting to engage with more in the future? <sighs> you know, I really love my job as a kindergarten teacher, it, stimulating those young minds. It's, it makes me feel really good about what I do. But at the end of the day, I mean, they're not really much for stimulating discourse. I do feel a little starved in that regard. So yeah, I think, I think I'll definitely have to uh, look into doing some, some more of these types of academic dives just to kind of keep keep it fresh in my mind. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, before we close out uh, the Cabbage Mont wedding, the event of the season here, highly anticipated by many, <laughs> where are you at in the planning? Uh, the, the planning, yeah, that's really Viola's area. I, I'd be okay to elope if we could, <laughs> uh, but I think a lot of people say the first year of marriage is the hardest, but for my money, the wedding planning is a real test of affection. Is, is Viola falling into the bridezilla stereotype? No. No, no, of course not. She she really isn't. Look, just just maybe a touch indecisive. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, Dob, you you need to go in for another fitting at the text place, tux place. I'm sorry, the the groomsmen are doing cravats now, so that's a thing. I need to go in to get fitted for a cravat. Yeah, we're doing English garden elegance. It's going to be a very um, form fitting cravat. So they need to be sure they have all your measurements right. But seriously, I know it's going to be lovely. I didn't understand it either, but it was pretty complicated when I got in there. <laughs> I'll I'll go wherever you point me, man. Thanks. I mean, it's going to be a lovely event, whatever theme Violet lands on. I'm so excited. You guys are using Neptune's Honey as the venue. It already has that sort of beautiful chaos feel of an English garden. Ah, this wedding is just... I am not looking forward to anything more in my entire life than attending this wedding. It's it for me. If it happens, if I can't make up my mind about anything, we've already pushed back the date four times. You know, the marriage part I'm really into, but this wedding, man, the wedding is going to kill me. You and Viola will get through it. You've always been so beautifully in love. I hope you're right. Love is great and everything, but you know what? If it doesn't pay the non-refundable deposits on cakes in venues. I'm going to remind you of this if you ever start pressuring me to get married. Noted. <laughs> and with that, it is time to wrap up for today. As always, we'll end with a Shakespeare question. And today's question is from The Taming of the Shrew. What raiment will your honor wear today? What raiment 
will your honor wear today? Well, next month, I'm going to be wearing a cravat. A well-fitted one, we hope. Very. <laughs> Might as well put it on today. <laughs> well, great. Well, we'll be back next week with the next installment of Much Ado About Nothing and an interview with my very best of pals, the most amazing and radiant wedding planner extraordinaire, Violet <laughs> Cabbage. Until then, this show is our show. And these dogs are my dogs. For Waddle and Dob. And this has been The Horned Moon Presents. Thank you so much for listening to The Horned Moon Presents, which is written by Merlin Cusell and directed and produced by me, Marshall B. Garrett. Merlin plays Waddle and I play Dob. Our guest this week is Mike Lake playing Benedict Mott. Our music, including this week's new track that Mike sang, Sigh No More, is by J. Andrew Dickinson, mixed by Eric Bostick. Now, I know every podcast asks this, but for real, we're a very new podcast and we're hoping to keep making this show for many years to come. Ratings and reviews are how we're going to get there. Take a minute right now, click the five star in your app and write a few kind words for us. And thank you, truly. Now fare you well, for now our show is done. Until next week when Beatrice's heart is one. Ours be your patience, friends, and yours our parts. Your gentle ears lend us and take our hearts. <laughs>